So, <laughs> I love the little click at the end. So welcome, everyone. How are we doing today? Good? We got kids in the house? Yes. Well, welcome um, to part one of a four-part message series that I'm, I'm pretty excited about. We're going to be looking, and I can't think of a better time to work through some of the hard sayings of Jesus. We're going to be looking at some of the red letters, and if you look in your Bible and you see letters in red, that indicates that those are words of Jesus that Jesus spoke. That's how they're recorded. And so we're going to be looking at some of those. And to be honest with you, some of those difficult things that are hard to understand, sometimes I only catch the power of them when I also think about what he didn't say, right? Because you can look at something that is said, but it's in the power of what wasn't said that is also there. And so that's what we're going to be doing over these next few weeks, and they're going to hit a, a number of topics that I think are, are very, very challenging for us. And so we're going to have a little fun. Would that be all right with you guys? So let me introduce it this way. Um, Things Jesus never said. Today, we're going to start with something Jesus said about forgiveness. How many of you guys know someone on Facebook that is really, really annoying? Now, this only works if you participate too, so hands up if you know somebody who's really, really annoying on Facebook. If you're Keep them up, keep them up if your hand's not up. Could be, might be, could be you, just saying. <laughs> so, things Jesus didn't say. Today, um, we're titling, You Don't Need to Forgive Them. You don't need, Jesus never said you don't need to forgive them. Or, or how about, here's just a couple of, of fun ones for you. He never ever said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they post. Though I think, <laughs> I think maybe <laughs> after reading some Facebook posts, maybe that should have been said. I don't know. But he never ever said that. He never said, fool me once and I'll forgive you. Fool me twice and I'll give you hemorrhoids. That seems kind of mean. For someone who has supernatural power, I think I might, you know, I might be tempted to wield it poorly like that. But he didn't ever say that, thank goodness. This one, I think, I think a lot of us live here. Jesus never ever said, sorry. You've sinned too much for me to forgive you. I can forgive everybody else, but you really get on my nerves. He never ever said that. Can we just thank God for a minute that we don't have a, a Christ, we don't have a Jesus who is slow to forgive us. He forgives all of us. Can we just, can we just thank God for that? Yeah. So um, today we're going to talk from a part of Scripture 
It's in Matthew chapter 6, which is a, a section of teaching where Jesus is teaching um, in kind of the countryside near the lake. And this section of scripture is kind of famous because it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And we won't look at the whole thing because it's, it's long and intense and, and there's a lot of meat and teaching there. But we're going to look at part of the Sermon on the Mount. And specifically in chapter 6, he opens it up with a teaching about prayer. And we've just come out of a series about prayer. And if you still feel like you're unsure of how to pray, that's what Jesus is teaching his disciples here. He's teaching them how to pray. And, and he's very specific in how he teaches and the disposition that it puts us in and some of the specifics. And then right after the teaching on the prayer, there's like this little postscript, this little P.S., if you didn't quite get it all before, here's how it works. And so we're going to look at the prayer and the P.S. Um, and so it's going to be up on the screen, but if you want to follow along with your notes in um, wayfinders.info, just click on Kyle Community and, and then the message notes. Um, it's like the second or third button there. Uh, but we'll start at verse 9 of chapter 6. It'll be up on the screen. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father. Everybody say, Our Father. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Now, before we get into the next verse, here's... Some ways that I like to think about this. Jesus doesn't say, and if you're familiar with the Lord's prayers, I'm, so a lot of people recite it often, right? But Jesus didn't say, forgive us our debts, though you can still hold grudges. He didn't say to God, forgive us, but thank you for letting us hold on to our grudges, Jesus didn't say, I will forgive you, but you don't have to forgive others. He didn't say that. This is what he said. And forgive us our debts, verse 12, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Love that. And it's difficult. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgotten, forgiven our debtors. Some versions say trespass. Some versions say sins. There's uh, different ways to interpret um, that. And now, after he finishes this teaching on prayer, he gives a little bit further explanation. This is, uh, this is a really, really tough idea, but here we go. This is what Jesus actually said. Verse 14, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. These words are otherworldly, and there's a lot of power in them, but this is incredibly sobering. 
when you think about what's actually said here. If you forgive, then your father forgives. If you don't forgive, then your father doesn't forgive. So the first time that I spoke on forgiveness, I was 24 years old, filling in for the lead pastor, and maybe 23, I don't know, somewhere around there. And I was preaching on forgiveness, and this text was not the main text. The main text was a story that we're going to look at later in this series, um, not necessarily about forgiveness. Um, But we decided that we would put rocks in everybody's chairs, and we were doing a teaching on forgiveness and about how the things that we hold on to, but when we drop it, we're supposed to hear the thud of grace. And it, it was a beautiful message, and, and yet I remember the moment, the, the, the crescendo of the message, and I had been prepping and working for weeks, and I, and I got to the end, and I'm in front of the, the, the whole congregation, and I dropped my rock saying, and you'll hear the thud of grace. And my rock hit the ground, and I did not hear a thud of grace. Instead, I, it was like my heart just melted, and the heavens opened up, and it was as if God said, why are you holding on to this? A little bit of context, I had a roommate that I was good friends with before we became roommates. And when we became roommates, it didn't work. Only it didn't work and my attitude got worse and worse and his attitude got worse and worse and he grew up in a yelling family. I did not. And so when he pitched his fits, I got vigilant with how I dealt with that. To the point where I locked him out of the room on purpose and let him scream in the hallway like a little baby. I was not kind. And when we opted to not be roommates anymore, we went from being fantastic friends to not speaking at all for about two and a half years when I spoke this message. It was very clear to me that that week when I had been prepping it, I had run into my ex-roommate. I didn't even say hi to him. Because I was holding a grudge about how I was treated. God convicted me in that moment. My My hunch is that somewhere in the message of forgiveness, somewhere along the way, you will have that same type of God moment where it just, boom, and it's convicting, and you will realize where you're living in unforgiveness. The beautiful thing here is that that's not the end of the story, right? Thank goodness. And and here's the truth of the matter is, any time that I have ever spoken about forgiveness to others or with others or in spaces like this, it creates a lot of emotion. And rightly so, 
because we carry things. And inevitably, somewhere along the way, someone will say, Pastor Todd, you don't understand what happened. And you're right. I don't understand what happened with you. I do know about me, though. And maybe you walked into today and you weren't necessarily ready to deal with unforgiveness, but here are some of the things that I know happen that are very, very difficult. Perhaps a spouse cheated. Maybe your best friend lied to you or lied about you and the hurt and mistrust that it brought was debilitating. Maybe someone you loved and admired, maybe even a Christian leader that you looked up to let you down. Maybe someone didn't pay you what you were owed and it left you in a very, very bad spot. Maybe someone broke a promise or maybe someone used you for their benefit. These are very serious hurts. Worse yet, maybe someone who was supposed to protect you and guard over you hurt you. Statistically, in this room, there are those of us who have been hurt emotionally, physically, spiritually, and sexually, and we wear those scars, and sometimes you wear those scars for weeks and months and years and decades, and they can resurface at any time. And so when I hear the words of Jesus here, I want you to understand, I am not making light of any pain that you may have experienced. And I'm sorry. It hurts. And there are so many wrongs that are in our world. There are horrible, unfair, reprehensible actions that people take, and they are nasty. And so I don't want to make light of that. And it's as difficult as it is when I experience my own set of pain and brokenness, can I tell you it's a little bit worse for me, and maybe it is a little bit worse for you. It's as brutal as it is to endure a personal betrayal or abuse. It's sometimes harder for me to see someone I love hurt not be able to help. This week I had the fortunate or unfortunate, depending on how you look at it, chance to spend some time with a couple of families. And one of the families, they, they've moved every couple of years for the last five years. And they refuse to get close to people in community because some of their best friends in the world took advantage of their little girl. And they have no way, no space to put that in. 
And so they're running and hurting. Had the chance to talk with another couple who, this is decades and decades after becoming a victim. And what comes to light is that burden is still there, that, that wrong still hurts. And you might even be dealing with something that you had nothing to deal with, but it's in someone you love. How in the world do you forgive something that seems so unforgivable? What are you supposed to do with that type of wrong? Just let it go? I know this is heavy, but there's a clue in the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Throw verse 9 back up on the screen for me. It says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father. Everybody say, Our Father. One more time. Our Father. Jesus didn't say, My Father. He didn't say my father, he said our father, which means he's my father and your father and that person's father. He's not just my father, he's our father. And so what I gather from that is that our relationships with God's other children, our siblings in this case, deeply matter to God, our relationships with each other really do matter. Now, as a dad, I understand this. I don't know if you've been on a road trip with a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. Um, but at some point, there comes a moment where they are unhappy to be around each other any longer. And not enough space between the chairs and even imagine, you crossed the imaginary line. My shield's up. Don't touch me. I'm not touching you. I'm just hovering around you. I'm not touching. Anybody been there? I, I turn into that guy. I will pull this car over. Don't make me. You know, like, I'm intense just thinking about this. Holly knows, I don't like drama in the car. I just can't handle it. There's not enough space for me to get away. <laughs> and as frustrated as I am and I get and as brokenhearted as I get when I see my kids not love each other and not care about each other and throw each other under the bus and try to take from each other. As brokenhearted as I am, the likewise is also true. Holly and I get tremendous joy from seeing our kids respect and care for and go out of their way to show love to each other. And I can only imagine what our Heavenly Father thinks about that when we are dishonoring and disrespecting and hurting each other versus loving and caring and giving to 
each other. Maybe that's why he said this earlier in this sermon or this collection of teachings called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said this, Therefore, if you are offering a gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. As if your, your heavenly dad says, don't, don't bring me worship and offerings and pretend everything is good. When you have brokenness in the relationships around you, first go and take care of the fighting. Go and make it right. And then when you come and worship, your heart will be truly here. Your heart will be truly whole. As I thought about this, idea, what I realized is just like my heart breaks when my kids are hurting each other. I think about the heart of God and how deep the wounds must get when he's crying over his children. So when we extol bitterness and brokenness, it not only hurts here, it hurts there. You know, um, someone once uh, said, and I, maybe I heard it recently, I, I reheard it recently, but someone once said, that we can live in a prison of offense. We can live in a prison of offense. And forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of that prison. You see, because when we have unforgiveness and we are living in bitterness and resentment and hatred and we continue to let those wounds um, stay infected and fester and they poison our soul. The Proverbs say it rots the marrow, right, from the inside out. It poisons our soul. And I know that there have been experiences that cause us to seethe. You ever met or been around somebody who's seething? They see that for... And you can't even, like, you can't even look at the person without getting angry and frustrated and annoyed and, and all of those emotions that are listed. And the prison, by the way, isn't some place. The prison is you. You're experiencing it because they're not losing sleep over what happened, but you are. The person it is affecting is your own heart. Um. I wasn't sure I was going to share this, but I will. Um, one of my early jobs, I took a job and um, we had this benevolent thing that was happening in the city and, and, and we served groceries to the underserved and, and, and we had funds that were distributed to the poor and the needy. And I caught my boss in a web of lies. And he was using those funds for his own family. He was paying his car note and paying his own groceries. He was literally robbing people and embezzling. 
And I confronted him on it, and, and there was just this massive betrayal of trust. And I can remember that I, I could have let that moment allow me to become cynical. Now, I didn't have to stay at that place of work. But I knew that if I stayed at the place that I was in my thinking about this man, that it would affect me for the rest of my life. And I can remember driving down the road, screaming obscenities um, in my car by myself, um, you know, because of how frustrated and mad I was. I was mad at God for letting this happen. I was mad at this man. And I can remember at that moment that God said, you can get cynical or you can forgive, but if you get cynical, you're in the wrong business. I was really hurt. Years later, I, I, I saw him at Six Flags with his family of all places. I could just remember after my wife talked me off the ledge and explained that we need to Forgive, because she's more saintly than me. Um, I can just remember the moment of incredible peace when I went up to him and genuinely wished him the best. Because I wanted God to work in his life. Um, the same thing our similar story. I was at a place of uh, ministry, and I put my trust in this place and in the leadership there. And there came a day where um, it was like a, a town hall meeting. And with no warning, I got sat up in front, and for four hours, Four hours, they paraded people talking about all the problems that the organization was having, and somehow I was to blame for all of them. Things that I had never seen, heard, or did were now because of me. Not one person spoke kindly about me or for me or the work that I had done. And I can just remember how betrayed and angry. I, to be honest with you, I didn't eat for about three weeks after that. I didn't sleep for about three weeks after that. And um, finally, through a lot of prayer, a lot of late nights with my, <laughs> my wife allowing me to cry. <laughs> I was able to forgive. And you might be saying, okay, cool story, Pastor Todd. I'm not you, and I'm not there. I am definitely still angry. What do I do? Well, in this same sermon... A little bit before the section we just read, Jesus says this, verse 43 of chapter 5. 
You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He's speaking directly to a culture that values eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. Because that culture is gone now. It doesn't still exist today, right? The culture of vengeance. Verse 44, he says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The thing that I learned from Holly when I was going through that experience that I think might help us today is this. When you don't feel like praying, you have to pray anyway. Because if I had waited for the, 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 the attitude in me to change, if I had waited till I felt like praying, I would probably still not ever be praying for those people that I was betrayed by and hurt by. And I know there are wounds that go deeper than the ones that I just shared from my life. And so if we wait till we feel like praying, we, we would be waiting forever. And so we have to sometimes put action before belief and action before attitude. Otherwise, we will never get to the place where we can forgive and be restored. Here's what I learned. When you are choosing to pray anyway, your prayer may or may not ever change others or the person that hurt you, but it will always change you. It will always change you. Because when I first started praying the prayer, um, let's call him Bobby. He's not Bobby. But let's just say when I first started praying for Bobby, <laughs> who I worked with, my prayer was not for God to work um, in his life. My, my prayer was, God, do something to his life. You know, I have prayed for God to kick people in shins before. I have prayed for God to do something to people before. And you know what? What started out as God do something to them, then over time became God do something in them. To then, as my heart began to soften and break, God restore them because they have to be so broken to have done what they did. They have to be so messed up to have done what they did. They have to be coming from such a place. And so praying is this, is this God-honoring place to start from because as you're praying, then when you choose to forgive, it changes everything. And here's what I love. In the Greek, the definition for forgiveness literally translates cast away or hurl away. All of that baggage that you've been carrying, all of that pain, we're going to hurl it away. All of the issues that have, been, that have come up, we're going we're gonna to cast them away. We're going to hurl them away. It may not change all of your feelings. But when we choose to forgive, we get to hurl and cast those things aside. A little bit later, the early, one of the early church writers wrote this in Colossians chapter 3. He says, bear with each other. Some people are easier to bear with than others, right? Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. 
forgive as the Lord forgave you. See, God freely forgives our sins. So in the same way, we're going to hurl them away. We're going to let them go. We're not going to keep them inside. Andy Stanley said this, in the shadow of my hurt, forgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving soul to another. We don't deserve God's forgiveness. We didn't earn God's forgiveness. And yet, the Lord forgave each and every one of us. The Lord forgives each and every one of us. So we're going to forgive as the Lord forgave us. I'm going to share this story with Holly's blessing. When we were early married, um, we were at a camp, and I was sleep-deprived and frustrated with teenagers. Um, But I sat down at a meal in front of a large group of people, and I said some things and did some things about my wife that were very dishonoring of her in front of others. And it hurt. And um, thankfully, my wife is a woman of tremendous understanding and grace, and she called me out on it. And I had nowhere to run or a story to make up or some place to hide. It was all out in the open. And I just remember that sinking feeling in my heart. I hurt this person. And I just remember saying, will you forgive me? And almost instantly and immediately, without hesitation, she looked up at me and said, of course. God forgives, so I forgive, but this is not okay. You see what she said there? God forgives, so I forgive. doesn't mean it's okay. But I just think about how many homes would be healed if we led with forgiveness And don't get me wrong, if you've experienced a betrayal in your home and it might be the grounds for divorce, it's also the grounds for forgiveness and restoration. I I wonder how many fathers and sons could have a relationship restored if they would put their arms around each other and say, I forgive you. How many mothers and daughters and generational changes would happen in families if we could find forgiveness How many marriages could be saved? How many friendships would find healing? How many people who have been living in prisons of offense would be set free? Because forgiveness is the key. And we're the ones living in the prison. And so God is not mean when he says, as you forgive, I will forgive you. But if you don't, I won't. He's actually trying to heal us by telling us to forgive. I read this from Pastor Dave Willis. He says, holding a grudge doesn't make you strong. It makes you bitter. Forgiving doesn't make you weak. It sets you free. So we're going to go and end with what Jesus actually said. 
For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. You know what I want to, what I love about this? Forgiveness empowers you to set the prisoner free. And the prisoner is you. And there is a promise in this passage. If you, then God. That's a promise. Forgiveness isn't always easy. We carry scars, sometimes weeks, months, years, and decades. We carry hurts that sometimes we're not sure when they're going to surface and what they're going to cause us to do emotionally. I think this promise is in here because God wants to set us free from unforgiveness. God doesn't want us to live around with bitterness and brokenness. And some of you maybe have never trusted this promise, and so you have never experienced the forgiveness of God for your sins. It's as simply as believing that God's goodness and grace and mercy in the person of Jesus extends forgiveness of sins to you and to me. And that has a tremendous effect with how we treat others. I'm going to invite the band um, to come up and, and sing a song. But I just want to ask for a second. I just want to ask you this one thing. What are you holding on to that's holding you prisoner? What do you need to hurl away? You may not feel like praying for forgiveness, but I promise even if you're praying for God to do something to someone, over time, your heart will be opened because you're praying for it regardless of how it comes out. What do you need to leave at the altar and go find someone and reconcile with? What do you need to forgive? What hurt have you been carrying with you so long that you think it will always be a part of your life? The power of forgiveness will set you free. 